And thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. So therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants, and he said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of the servants says, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. All exclaiming, Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher, Rob Kellogg. Elisha didn't support the corrupt monarchs of Israel, but he knew that it was even worse for Israel to be conquered and subjected to the rule under Syria. Therefore, he gave the king of Israel information from divinely inspired secrets. The king of Syria was naturally mystified by the way the king of Israel knew all of Syria's plans beforehand. He was convinced there was a traitor among them until one servant revealed that Elisha the prophet who is in Israel knew and revealed these things. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching already in progress. 2. Very different. This literally means a piece of wood, but the idea is something much smaller than the beam that they were cutting out for the rafters. You, you got me, right? You understand? And so, and so it, it seems that this stick is uh, not the same. Uh, it's a different word. So therefore, he said, pick it up for yourself. And so he took out his hand and he picked it up. And no doubt, a miracle. You know, this, the axe head would float just like the twig or whatever that Elisha had thrown into the water. You know, and some have tried again to explain this away by um, implying some kind of other scientific means. But you know this, right? Uh, if you throw something in water, especially if it's a small body of water, if you throw something into the water, what happens? Does the water lessen or does it go up? It goes up because you're displacing the water. Right? You've learned that in science class, and you take a, a glass full of water and you put a bunch of rocks in it. The water level goes up because it's displacing the water. And so, if anything, this was actually going to make it harder. And of course, we're talking about the Jordan River, so whatever he threw in, regardless of how big the branch was, it's not going to really measure very much. But that wasn't the point. He throws it in. And the reverse of the laws of nature occur. Those things are heavy, several pounds in weight. Are they going to just rise to the surface? But it defied nature. You know, it's like Elijah when he was facing off with the 450 prophets of Baal. What did he do? He defied nature. He took water seven times and doused the altar seven times. He let the, the, the Baal worshipers just light, you know, have their thing and, and, and not douse it with water. But Elijah said, no, if God's going to do this, it doesn't matter how much water you put on this thing. You could dump the Indian Ocean on this, and it's going to light up when God strikes it. 
And sure enough, he does. So Elijah wasn't even worried. He says, you know, I don't know, just put a flame retardant on it. Take some of that powder that they spray over California wildfires. Spread it all over the thing. Just pepper it. See what happens. (laughs) But it defies the laws of nature because God created those laws and he's able to defy them at his will. In Exodus chapter 15, you don't have to go there, but I'd like to read something to you because I want to just develop this theme a little bit with this wood because I think there's something here for us and it's something that I think you'll see, hopefully. So in Exodus chapter 15, beginning in verse 22, it says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness, found no water. So when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of the place is called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And so he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters... The waters were made sweet, and there he made a statue and an ordinance for them, and he tested them. And uh, although we have to be careful about spiritualizing Scripture, I'd like to take a little liberty with this, because as we looked at what we just read in Exodus, and as we saw what Elisha did with the wood, throwing it in the water, because here's, you know, with Moses taking the wood and throwing it into a bitter water. Here we have a, a man's calamity happening, and wood is applied to this calamity, and it brings deliverance. And uh, I think you kind of probably know where I'm going, because in the, in the Bible there are these things called types. And I can see a wonderful type here. It's not perfect, but I think it's interesting to notice because in the passage we read in Exodus, the waters of Marah could typify our life before we came to Christ. It was just bitterness. Our life was bitter. Our life was a mess. And then the the tree that Moses cast into the water that made the water sweet, that is like eternal life that was given to us by the death of Jesus on what? The tree on the cross. The wood that Christ died upon. There was nothing special about the wood, but what happened on that piece of wood was something that changed the date that we observe today. Notice that? Oh, we don't believe in God. Well, what's the date today? 2022. What does that mean? Well, in the Latin, 2022, Anno Domine, in the year of our Lord. So what do you say about that? You're going to change the date now because you don't like Jesus? His death and his resurrection and his ascension was so significant that it changed his his birth, changed the way we relate to dated events in history. And no one has dared to try and go and change it. How important is it? Even the world. But now the scholars, you know, if, if you've ever watched uh, anything like on the History Channel or something like that, they always like to take Christ out of the picture now. They'll say, well, it was 450 BCE. And then, you know, the, the Jerusalem, when it was destroyed, it was 70 ACE, you know, before the Common Era or after the Common Era. And I'm like, you know, you really need Jesus. Seriously, that's the way they revert to it, because they get Christ out of the picture. But you can't get Christ out of the picture. 
Neither should we. But this tree that Jesus died on, we know that he carried that uh, a patibulum. It was a 75 to 125 pound piece of wood that they would uh, strap on him. And that was what he carried to Golgotha. And then they would finally lay him down there. And they would drive those Roman nails through his, his, his wrists right in here. And they would, they would go just on the other side so they didn't hit the, the vein, the, the, the artery. And they would drive them in there. And then his feet, and they would fasten him and they would stick him up on the stipes which was the tree that was in the ground forming a cross so jesus hung on that cross and when the crucifixion of jesus on the cross and all that he accomplished on it certainly the forgiveness of sin the eternal life the joy when it's applied to our lives what does he bring he brings healing and true joy to us And it's not dependent on our externals or circumstances. Even Isaiah 53, it says, Surely, it says, um, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So by his stripes on the cross, we are healed. We are Rapha. He is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. He heals us. And in both cases, in Exodus 15, and in this case of Elisha throwing in the twig, the wood, into the water, what did it do? The results of both of these things brought healing or brought deliverance in the lives of the children of Israel, as well as for Elisha and this servant with the borrowed axe. The wood applied. The cross applied. Whenever the cross is applied, there's healing, there's deliverance. And it's also a good proof text to, with the idea that God's not only concerned about the small and seemingly insignificant things, but also for the huge monumental things that we're going to look at next in this chapter. But I do want to share with you, uh, I love types in the Bible, and there's a lot of them. But types in the Bible confirm or add further weight to truths that God has clearly spoken in his word. Because God and his word, he, it's doctrinal truth. And types are only reflections of his revealed, written truth in the Bible. So we should never build doctrine on a type in the Bible. Because by its definition, a type points to the original. It points to the real thing. So types may not be perfect. And this is not, what I share with you now is not a perfect type. But it's an interesting type. Because there's deliverance, there's healing. And certainly these young men were delivered. Let's go and let's look at verses 8 now through uh, verses 23. Now notice, so now a completely different thing. It says, Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this peace or pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. And then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. And thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. So therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants, and he said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of the servants says, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. That's kind of interesting. 
So he said, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. So now the king of, of Syria wants to kidnap or capture Elisha. And so he said, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, surely he is at Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. Wow, for one man, isn't that crazy? Of course, he was going into territory that uh, was enemy territory as far as Syria was concerned. So at any time, they could have a hot battle on their hands. So, so they go and they send this military regiment to Elisha's home. <laughs> and so he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night, notice, and they surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what should we do? And so he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, and he said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And so when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to him, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. So it was when they had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and saw, and they saw, and there they were inside Samaria. And not only inside Samaria, in the capital city of Israel, and no doubt surrounded by the Israeli army. I don't know about you guys, but if you know anything about the Israeli army, they've always been really good at what they do. Even today, they're one of the best. My brother, who was in uh, law enforcement for many years, uh, guys from the uh, Israel will come over and show them shooting techniques. You know, show them how to shoot a gun and the right way to hold it and all kinds of different things and little tricks and tips. And, and, and the guys are just like, where did this guy come from? And it works. You know, all these little techniques were, were you know, bringing their pattern of bullets from here down to like this. I think they know something about warfare. Every single day they have to deal with it. And did you hear today uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is now the new prime minister? I'm really happy about that. So, going on, he struck them with blindness. And so there they are, he led them to Samaria. And it says, verse 21, Now when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? But he answered, you shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and your bow? Set food and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And then he prepared a great feast for them. And after they ate and drank, he sent them away. And they went to their master. And so the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. Pretty interesting, isn't it? We're going to look at this, and it's really amazing what the Lord does here. And this um, this king of Syria, going back in verse eight, now we believe that this is Ben Hadad one or Ben Hadad two, his son, and they were, you know, they labeled them just one and two. Ben Hadad is really a title, 
And so whether this is the first Ben-Hadad or the second, we really don't know. There's some differences of opinion, but it doesn't really matter. But notice how fickle the king of Syria really is. Remember just a chapter prior to this that Naaman, the commander of the Syrian army, he comes, he, he gets wind that this, this prophet, Elijah, is able to heal. And so he goes down to uh, Elisha, and this commander of the Syrian army is struck with leprosy. And remember, Elisha didn't even come out to greet the man. He told Gehazi, he says, go out and tell him to wash in the Jordan seven times. Just dip himself seven times and he'll be healed. And Naaman was furious. He's like, do you know who I am? I came all the way from Syria. You're not even going to come out and shake my hand? He was mad. But his servant says, if he would have told you to, to climb a 10-foot tree and, and you know, do this or something, wouldn't you have done it? Well, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. So he does. He goes down. He gets healed. And now this commander is made whole again. And he goes back to Syria. And no doubt the king of Syria is going, wow, this is really amazing. I got my guy back. He's healed. You'd think that would soften his heart toward Israel, but such is fickle, the fickle heart of a, of a king of a neighboring country. So he comes against him again, and, so, um, and he consulted with his servants, saying, my camp will be in such and such a place. And, and then the man of God, verse 9, sent to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel at this time, we believe, is Joram, the, the king of Israel, who reigned from about 852 to 841 B.C., and uh, the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down here. And so the king of Israel sent someone down to the place, and sure enough, that's wh- what happened. And he did it more than once or twice. And so therefore, verse 11, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And so finally he gets his guys all around him, and he's like, Who's the mole? Which one of you is selling is, is a sellout here? Which one of you was paid off to, to give intelligence to the king of Israel? And he had every reason to be angry. Because something's amiss. Because every time we go there and we're about ready to go into battle, they already know we're coming and they're ready. And how is this possible? This was before cell phones. It wasn't like, you know, Elisha was texting the king and going, he's on the move, he's on the move. He just crossed over, you know. He didn't have any of that. It was just God and the prophet. I love that. Can God speak to you? Can he speak to you in wonderful ways? I know that he does. Because some of you have told me. And God speaks to me. I wish it was every single day in the sense of, of hearing an audible voice from God, you know, but oftentimes it's not like that. He speaks to me through his word. He speaks to me in my heart. And there have been a couple times where literally it was nearly... I, I, would, I would believe that it was audible because it was so clear and so loud in my head that I really thought that somebody, that he spoke to me. And then I, I act upon it and find out, wow, that was you. What a miracle that is. So one of his servants says, no one's a mole here, my king, but Elisha, who is in Israel, he tells the kings the words that are in your bedroom. And so Elisha was the first Mossad agent. He, and this was before all the high-tech audio and video equipment that the Mossad have now. And uh, it reminds me of a gentleman. Uh, there's a book that I bought in Israel. It's called Our Man in Damascus. And it's the, it's the history of Eli Cohn. 
And he was an Israeli spy who infiltrated the Syrian, and, and, and I'm not kidding, the Syrian government in the 60s. And he was able to work his way up to where he was literally right next to the king. And at night and at different times, he was uh, sending back uh, through different you know, primitive uh, intelligence information back to Israel stating what they're going to do. And it was instrumental, his intelligence was instrumental in the 67 war. Of, you know, uh, what he was sharing with them gave the Israeli army an edge, a significant edge over their enemy that was bent on destroying them. And finally they find out who he is, and here's a picture of him hanging in Damascus. They finally find him, and they hang him on public television. The whole thing was recorded. But this, it's a really interesting read. It's not a really long book, but it's called Our Man in Damascus, Eli Cohen by Eli Ben-Hanan. But a really great read, um, but it's fantastic. But it was a very similar thing, you know, except he was using instruments uh, and technology to give the whereabouts of where the Syrian army was. And God blessed it. God blessed this man. And he saved many. Israelis by what he was doing, knowing that if he got caught, he would be killed. And he knew that. His wife knew that. And so verse 13, he says, go and see where he is, the Syrian king says, and that I may send him and I want to get him. And it was told that he was in Dothan. Dothan is about 12 miles northeast of Samaria, the capital city of, of Israel. So therefore he sent horses and chariots, a great army, came by night, surrounded the city, And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And he's like, what are we going to do now? Now you remember, it seems that this servant of Elisha here is different from Gehazi. Because we know that Gehazi was Elisha's servant. But Gehazi, remember, contracted leprosy due to his his lying and his, um, his, uh, his, uh, his greed. Remember, in, in the fifth chapter... He wanted that gold and that silver and those changes of clothing. And the Lord struck him. It tells us in 2 Kings 5.27 that this, this Elisha's right-hand man, this Gehazi, says the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence leprous as white as snow. So we believe that this is a whole different uh, servant that is now serving alongside Elisha. So verse 16, he answered, he says, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And I, I love this because Elisha, God's representative, he knew who was in control. It wasn't the Syrian army, but it is and always has been God Almighty. He is in control. He's still in control. He's never ceased to not be in control. God knows all things. In fact, it may take us by surprise. Events may take us by surprise, but nothing surprises God. In 1 John chapter 4, remember what it said in verse 4. It says, because, he says, you are of God, little children, John the Apostle says to them, and you have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 
Elisha knew who was in control. And, and like us, we have this, the Spirit of God dwelling in us. If you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God indwelling you. And greater is He, the Spirit of God that's in you, than He that is in the world. The Spirit of Antichrist that's all around us that is showing Himself. The Spirit of Antichrist, anyway, is all over the place. We see it in the Penfield sub, uh, school system. We see it in all the colleges and the universities. We see it in the Oval Office. The spirit of Antichrist. That's the end of our lesson for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.